Good morning, church. My name is Jeremy Micklack. I am the pastor of youth and young adults here at Riverstone Church. And every time we sing that song, I, I, just, I just can't wait till we are in the presence of our holy God and we are worshiping together. And I just think of this image. I don't know if you've been following the World Cup at all, but my favorite part of the World Cup, it's soccer, if you don't know what the World Cup is, okay? And every time somebody scores, sometimes they'll pan to, like, the nation. They're having a watch party, and everybody is just standing and cheering, yeah, because their team just scored. And I just can't wait for the moment where we are with our Lord and Savior and our God, and we are worshiping as the world of followers of Jesus together, all in different tribes and different tongues and just worshiping God. I just get that picture in my mind, so I just am so excited for that day. Um, But we have many days before that, possibly. And this week is very special. I don't know if you could tell, but the stage looks a little different. And we have decorations up all around the lobby and downstairs because this week is VBS. VBS 2018 is here, and we are so excited because we are going to be welcoming probably over 200 kids this week. So we're getting prepared to teach them to talk about our theme this week, which is submerged. And we're going to be talking about Psalm 139 this morning, but really the idea is finding truth beneath the surface, that God knows all things and that he's everywhere, that he's all-powerful, and he's the one that reveals truth to us, that not only does he know all the things in the sea, but he also knows every part of who we are. And so this morning as we get into God's word, we are hoping and praying that God would reveal things in our life, maybe things that are wrong, maybe things that are good, but we're praying that God would reveal those things to our hearts so that we can grow and change by the power of the Spirit. So ushers, you can come forward and pass out Bibles. If you need a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, um, we're more than happy to let you keep one of these Bibles, take it home with you, and that will be yours. But the reason why we preach and we teach from the Bible is because it's God's word. We know that it's breathed out by God, that God superintended the human authors to write these words, and now we have it before us. You know, today in our culture, we don't like to really admit that there's absolute truth. But as Christians, we know that God's word is truth, that there is something as absolute truth. And we can abide by it, we can read God's word, and we can be changed by God's word because it is truth, because it's breathed out by him. And so these words are from him for us now as followers of Jesus to read his word. And so the book of Psalms, we know is one of 66 books of the Bible, that there's 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And the book of Psalms, if you're trying to find it in your Bible, or maybe you have a phone or a tablet and you can have your Bible app, but it's kind of like right in the middle of your Bible, and it's big. There's a lot of chapters in the book of Psalms, but the thing that's special about this book is it's not necessarily a narrative, it's not a story, but it's a compilation of songs, hymns, poetry, that these are like lyrics to songs, that a lot of the authors here were writing these words um, as 
they would write a song. And for, to, for us today, we know that there's a lot of different bands and musicians out there. And the pictures up here represent some of the 20 top artists that have claimed the most sales. The Beatles are the winners with $600 million worth of sales. I don't know if you, are there any Beatles fans out there? Yeah, okay. And you have Elton John up there and Kanye West and Ed Sheeran, if you're not familiar with those. Then there's Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, The Eagles, Queen, ACDC, Celine Dion, the Titanic, Justin Bieber, Bruno Mars, Rihanna. So there's a big list. And I thought, you know, for a lot of these musicians, they make their living off to the sales. And for the Beatles, they hold the record for over $600 million worth of sales. And maybe, as I was going through the book of Psalms, I was thinking, I don't know if they really do hold the record, because if you think about it, since this is a book of songs, the authors are, are artists, musicians, and so for them, our Bible, there's been over 5 billion copies distributed and sold. So I really think that our psalmists, the writers and the authors of the book of Psalms, really hold the record for the most sales for any music. And like David and the Asaph family or the sons of Korah or Haman, Solomon, Moses, these are just some of the few psalmists who wrote different parts of our book, the Psalms. And, you know, I like to imagine that if maybe Moses and King David were alive today, that if they were musicians, they might look something like this. <laughs> so you have Moses rocking out, King David. And so we are going to take a look at Psalm 139, which is just one chapter of the many chapters that make up the book of Psalms. So you can turn there with me. Psalm 139. And the thing that's special about this book is it was written by King David, probably sometime after he was anointed as king. And the neat thing about David, he was an ordinary person, a teenager who grew up as a shepherd. Maybe it's not ordinary for us today, but he, mo he spent most of his time with sheep and not people, so he probably lacked some social skills. But you know what? He learned to build his character and gave of his own life for the sake of his flock. The Bible says that he even defended against bears and lions to protect his own sheep. And now David was having this strange encounter by a prophet of God, a man of God, came to his father's house and was asking for him. And one of his brothers came and brought him over. And at this time, Samuel, who was a prophet, he had spoken with Jesse, who was David's father, and he said, I'm come to anoint the new king. And so Jesse brought all of his sons, except David, because he was a shepherd boy, and he was the youngest of all of his, his children. And so he brought his sons before Samuel, and Samuel went down the line. He said, no, it's not this one, no, it's not this one, because he had his commandment from the Lord. And all of a sudden, David came up, and he was brought forth as the youngest, and Samuel said, no, you will be anointed as the new king of Israel. And Samuel 
the reason why this is so interesting for us is because David, being the youngest, this is the least probable um, anointment for, to, for a king. It's supposed to be, first of all, the king's son, and let alone the youngest of this family. But we know that God doesn't look at things the way that we do. He sees things differently than us. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Talking about the the previous king. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That God knows all things, that he's all present, and that he's all powerful. And so this morning as we get into his word, we're asking that he would reveal truth to us, that we would find truth beneath the surface of just what we might see as words on a paper. But we know that this book is alive and active, that it can cut to the deepest parts of our heart. And so we pray that God's word would do that this morning for us. And we know God is amazing, all-powerful, that he's the creator of all things, even the little sea creatures that live in the ocean. Does anybody like going to the beach, going to the shore? Did you know that there's like all these weird sea creatures in the same water as you when you go to the ocean to swim? They're there. Well, this little guy, he's called a Dumbo octopus. See his little ears? Well, you probably won't see him swimming in the ocean because he's found about 3,000 feet below the surface in a place called the Midnight Zone. It's called the Midnight Zone because, just like for us at midnight, the sun's down. Well, there's no sunlight that reaches that far below the, earth, the ocean surface. So this little guy lives down there. And we know that there's many other sea creatures that live in the ocean, like sea turtles. You may have seen some of those guys. And this guy, I'm not quite sure. I know I'm not going to pronounce it right, so you can correct me later. But I think he's called an axolotl. You can look it up, okay? It's, he's, he's a funny little guy, but he's in there. And then you have penguins. They're so cute and fluffy. <laughs> well, all of these creatures live in the ocean that we swim in. And not only does God know all creatures that he's created, but he also knows you, all of you, the parts that we keep hidden to ourselves that we don't want to share with other people. He knows the deepest parts of our soul and heart, our emotions, why we feel the way that we feel. And that's something that's so comforting for us because we know that God knows us. Well, let's read the first six verses of Psalm 139. You can follow along with me. Now David was writing this. He said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So what David's saying to the Lord is that God knows everything. 
God is omniscient. That's just a fancy way of saying that God knows all things. That God knows our past and our future. He knows what we're going to be when we decide to grow up. He knows what we're going to be in a year from now. He knows what we're going to look like as we age. He knows why we like the foods that we like. He knows why we can't stand certain songs when they come on the radio. He knows what makes us angry, what makes us happy. Not only does he know those things, but he's felt those things too. The book of Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That when God sent his own son, Jesus, he became a man like you and I and lived on this earth, that he had feelings and emotions and went through the same things that we go through. And yet he didn't ever sin. Jesus was perfect. And that's comforting to us because we know that God knows us even better than we know ourselves. And by understanding this passage, we can understand a little bit of part of who we are because we know who God is. Because we know that we were created in God's image. And so a part of us We have this desire, God-given desire, to be known and to know others, to connect in relationships. You know, I joke around with my spouse and my family sometimes when we talk about, like, important people or celebrities, and sometimes, like, if I've ever introduced myself or, like, shook somebody's hand that's important, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I know him. I met him once. I don't know if you ever do that. Maybe even with some of the, the Eagle players, if you went and met some of the celebrities or shook their hands, and now you're like, oh, yeah, I met him. I have his autograph look. And we pretend to be like their best friend, even though we really don't know them at all. We just like to say that we do. Well, that's something that I, I do sometimes. And another way that we understand and we can see this desire coming out is the popularity of Facebook and Instagram. We want to know what's going on. We want to know people, and we want to be known. Like when that notification icon lights up on our phones, we get so excited because something's happening in our life, and we want to know what's going on. Well, the amazing thing is that God knows every part of us, even the parts that we want to keep hidden. The things about Facebook and Instagram is sometimes it can become superficial. That what we post and what we upload are pictures because we took it at a certain angle. We wanted only that part of us to be revealed. We want to make our lives look like we're exciting and we're traveling a lot or that we're important. Even if we have thousands of Facebook friends or 500 likes on our Instagram page, It still leaves us empty inside at the end of the day. But God gave us a desire not only to be known, but to know him. And the amazing thing about this passage is that God knows us and loves us. That there is nothing that we could ever do to break his love for us. There is no sin that we could commit that would turn him away from loving us. God loves you exactly for who you are. And that is a great hope that we have. 
As we continue to read what David's written, we'll read verses 7 to 12. You can follow with me. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely, the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Bright as the day. The night is as bright as the day and darkness and light are alike to you. What David is saying here is that God not only knows all things, but he is everywhere. Is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. And that is so encouraging for us because you know what that means? It means we will never, ever be alone. No matter what we feel, no matter if we're anxious or depressed or frightened or frustrated, we know that God is with us. Even when we look around and we can't see another person, we know that we're still not alone. And our world can't understand that. Even though we can't necessarily see God, we can still see God through his creation, through him creating us, through him giving us the desire to know him, to want to be known. And the amazing thing about that desire that we have is we also have feelings of wanting to be in multiple places at once as well. That sometimes we wish we were somewhere else, and sometimes we even think that we can do multiple things at once. Well, I want to just let you down easy, but there's no such thing as multitasking. We try and we try, but it's really just switch tasking. If you want to talk to me more about that later, you can, if you want to argue. But the pictures behind me, there's a man on the left, his name is PewDiePie, which is his account on YouTube, which he streams videos daily of himself, and he has thousands of followers, and it's amazing, the technology that we have is we can meet with people wherever they are. I know as a youth pastor, and now as a parent, sometimes I like to speak down on technology and smartphones, but they really are amazing. The technology and the power that we have in the palm of our hands, that we can connect with somebody that doesn't even live in the same community as us, all the way around the other side of the world. We can learn things from them. But you know what we start to do is sometimes we start to go to these options or these people and we let our time get consumed with watching streamed videos on YouTube instead of going to our family or to God. That's Snapchat, which is the logo on the right, is an app that you can take a picture of yourself and you can send it to anybody else and they can get it and you can write down a little quote and, or you can get pictures back and you can send images back and forth of what you're doing and try and make yourself look better than you are. And the other thing that they've added onto that now is called a geomap, that anybody else that you're friends with that has that app, you can look on that part of the app and it shows a map and it can show the exact 
pinpoint location of whoever your friends are. It's a little creepy. And what's really kind of creepy about that is if you look on there, say your friend's driving, well, their little logo of themselves, a little picture of them, is like in a car driving too. Or like if they're at the beach, there's like a little umbrella next to their little logo on the map, and you can see what they're doing. So it's handy because we can see what everybody's doing at all times. But we also know that we can't truly be there. And in 2004, there was this term that started to become more popular. It's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. Now, this is something that's actually real now. We start to get anxious when we start to regret being somewhere that we're missing out on. Like if our friends are out together at the mall and we see that on, on Snapchat or uploaded somewhere, we start to have this anxiety because we're missing out on something. But you know what tends to happen is we're so concentrated and focused on those things that what we're really missing out on is what's right in front of us. The time with our families, the time with the one who never leaves us, our Lord. But that's so encouraging to know that God never leaves us, that we're never truly alone. Even when we feel like it and we feel tempted to go to these other options to find comfort, where we can find true comfort in his word, in prayer, surrounding ourselves with fellow believers. Let's continue on in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in, you, in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Wow. God not only knows all things, not only is, is he everywhere, but what he's, David's writing now is, God is omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful, that he's created everything. He's created you and, you and I, and he's the one that put our DNA together. And you know what this passage is saying. The truth found here is that no matter who we are, no matter where we live or what we look like or the jobs that we have or the failures or successes that we've ever done, or the things that people have called us, that we have a great and beautiful purpose. No matter what family we were born into, no matter whether we failed a certain exam or didn't get into the college we thought we would get into, or we're not moving up or being promoted, we're not being noticed, we have a great and beautiful purpose. And you know what David's also telling us is that whenever we've lost a loved one, born or unborn, God has given them a great and beautiful purpose as well. And we only know this because God is the one that gives value to life. Because God is the one that's created us and knit us together. That he knows how many 
hairs are on our heads or how little hair we have. But God knows us and loves us. God will never leave us alone. And God has given us a great and beautiful purpose. And after these three paragraphs, David's song to God, he now responds. And we're going to get there in a second. But sometimes as people, when we think about power, we struggle with wanting more and more control of our own lives. That some of the things that we start to value instead of understanding our identity is found in Christ, we find our identity in other things and our value of our own life in other things. And as adults, some of the first things that we talk to people about who might not know us, we ask them their name, we say our name, and then we say, what do you do for work? What do you do for a living? Because in our culture, we really value what our career is. And sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we look down on people or we make quick snap judgments about others because of what we do and what they do or how they do things. And we don't find our value that we were created by God. And you know, as kids, it goes the same way. Growing up, we would brag about what we would accomplish on the soccer field scoring how many goals we have, how many A-pluses we have. And you know what? Today, many people will brag about what they're accomplishing on their video games, on Fortnite. Oh, I have 100 wins. And we'll start arguing about how many squad wins we have and how many skins we have and what our character looks like and that we have more wins than them. And it goes the same because we're searching for power. And you might not recognize any of these images, but the guy on the left there, his account's name is Ninja, and he plays Fortnite almost professionally. So he gets paid to be online to play video games, and he streams on Twitch, which is another online website that you could go on and watch people who are playing video games or whatever people are streaming. And it's like live reality TV shows, but it's real life of people playing. And you can go on Twitch, and you can watch Ninja playing Fortnite. He's probably playing right now, if you were to go on there right now, and you'd watch him playing live. So not only in our culture now are there professional gamers, but thousands upon thousands of us are watching professional gamers, that we're sitting there not even playing the game, but we like to watch people play the game. It's kind of silly, and maybe you might be thinking, wow, what a waste of time. Well, it's just one way that our culture is changing in our world. And I want to tell you that if you don't know what these things are, or when I was speaking about Fortnite and Twitch TV, and you have no idea the words that are coming out of my mouth, it's okay. But what I want to encourage you is don't be quick to judge our culture and dismiss the way that our culture is spending time. Because thousands of our youth and our children and young adults, this is how we're spending our time, doing these things. Because it's not just about the video game, it's about community. Our God-given desires to want to be known, to want to be in relationship with other people, 
that you can speak into a microphone and be talking to somebody around the world. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't know what these things are, to speak with a teenager. Ask them, what's Fortnite? What's Twitch TV? Can you tell me more about it? Because if we just quickly dismiss those things, we lose trust with our youth, with our teenagers, and with our children. And all we're doing is instead of bridging the gap, we're creating a wider and wider generation gap. And how are we ever to, supposed to reach and love our young people if we just continue to judge and dismiss the things that they care about? And so I want to encourage you to try and reach out to a teenager and maybe they'll have the patience to talk with you about it. And I pray that our teens would. But that's one way that we seek the God-given desires that we have. And no, it, it's probably not right to always be spending our time online, to seeking relationships with people that we don't come in contact with. You know, there was a missionary named Jim Elliott who gave his life when he was in South America because he cared about bringing God's word to the people there. And it was a tribal village there. But he was, he was quoted with this quote. He said, wherever you are, be all there. I think that's really important that so many times we're trying to fill our God-given needs of relationship to be known, to be loved, to not be alone, and to want power in all these different avenues. And sometimes it takes us away from what we're missing out on What's most important, the people that are right in front of us, our spiritual health, giving of ourselves to, pe to teach people about Jesus, giving of ourselves to sacrifice those things so that we can be used by God. And so David continues to go on, and in verse 17 to 22, now understanding who God is, that he is all-knowing, and everywhere and all-powerful, this is now David's response, a personal response, showing him that this is what he's feeling at this moment. Would you follow along? How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the, sum of, is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. And so we have David revealing his own heart to the Lord at this time. It's encouraging to us that no matter what we're feeling or going through, we can talk to God, that he's listening. And I really want to focus on this last the last two verses here of what David prays, that after he reveals his own heart, tells him his own anxieties, what he's feeling, he says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That now David says, God, would you reveal even the deepest, darkest parts of my own life, not only so that I can know those things, but so that I can repent and so that I can be changed by you. You see, he doesn't just leave it as show me 
my anxious thoughts, search me, but then he says, lead me in the everlasting way. Change me. I pray that this would be our prayer this morning and for this week, that we would be bold enough to come to God and say, God, would you show me where I'm wrong? Show me what I'm struggling with? Not so that I can just feel remorse for it, but so that I can be changed by your spirit, so that I can be useful to you, so that I can make a difference for my life. And as I was going and studying this passage, I was playing with my son, Everett, who's going to be one year old um, in just a few weeks. And when we were raising him, I can't believe it's almost been a year already, but I can see that in my house, it's only been a year, and he's already taken over the whole house, so his toys are everywhere. But one of the toys that he was given when he was just a little babe, I don't even think of him as a baby anymore, I, just, I don't know, but was one of these little ring towers. Have you ever seen one of these? Have you ever played with them? Well, I was sitting there, and I was playing with Everett, and I, I was still watching him, but I started playing with the toys. And I realized this is kind of neat because if you take all the rings off, they have to go on in a certain order. Otherwise, they won't fill the tower. So, like, for example, if I take the smallest ring, because the smallest ring has the smallest hole on the top, it won't actually go down to the bottom. So frustrating. So now you have to figure out, okay, what color goes on first so that you can fill up the tower. Well, as I was playing with Everett's toy, you know, it made me want to get my own. So I went on Amazon. I know, it's amazing. I have so much power on Amazon where I can buy, I can buy whatever I want to with a touch of a button. Now, here's my version. You probably can't even see me anymore. But as I was playing with this, It made me think about my own life and how these rings represent our priorities. That the bottom rings down here, these represent what's most important. And I had a friend after the first service, he was helping me kind of build off this illustration. He said, this part, the tower and the red part is the foundation. I love that that the foundation that we build our life upon is God's word, the truth, the absolute truth, because it's in his word that we find these truths that we know how we should be living our lives. And so these bottom rings represent what's most important to us, what the Bible says should be our spiritual health, our spiritual life, our families, the church, spending time in fellowship with other Christians. And these smaller rings, as it gets You know, they get less important, but maybe these other ones represent our jobs, our careers, where we live, maybe what car we're going to buy or what house we're going to buy, where we're going to live. And maybe as it gets smaller and smaller, these littler rings, they represent maybe sports, our hobbies, video games. And you know, as I was thinking about this sermon and I was praying this prayer, For my own life, God revealed something in my heart that many times I don't have my priorities set up right. And I start with maybe 
what I like, but it might not be what's most important, like watching Netflix. And I fill up my time with these other things that I like to do that are good. And maybe as a church here at Riverstone, we might struggle with the same things, that we're so busy. There was a book, a book written by Kevin DeYoung, and it's called Crazy Busy. And in his book, he shows research that was taken that says commuters, which are people that travel, experience higher levels of stress than fighter pilots and riot police. And as I'm saying that, you probably agree because you've gone through stress like that. That as parents, we're crazy busy. We're bringing one kid to summer camp. We're bringing another kid to being tutored. We're bringing another kid making sure they're getting fed and paying the bills and doing all these things and going from one place to the next. And what time do we have to give to God? And so our lives, like mine, we start to fill up our time with things that are fun and great and good. You know, I got to work, but you know what happens? It, it leaves no room for my spiritual health, for time with my family. When was the last time we sat down with our families around a dinner table where we weren't all on our phones or talking to people who weren't there, that we just sat and was with each other? And you know, as we pray this prayer in our lives, I hope that God would reveal things to us that maybe our priorities aren't right. And I've seen people change, that when they ask this of God, God is gracious and good to help us because he loves us. And I've seen things happen in teenagers' lives where they decided that they were gonna quit the premier soccer team because if they stayed on this team, that means they would get on the good team at school. That means they might get a good scholarship to go to a good college. And if they go to a good college, they could get a good job and have a good life, right? Maybe. And those things are great. But is it what's best? And I've seen teenagers give up that life. And they said, you know what? I'm giving it up because I was missing church on Sundays. I've seen teenagers give up going to the best prom in America so that they could go on a youth retreat because they knew that their friends were taking them away from what was most important. But that's such a good thing, experiencing something with friends. I've had people get jobs, making sure that they weren't going to work on Sundays so that they could fellowship with other Christians giving up, sacrificing that money, and maybe as parents, we're pushing our children to get jobs because we know it'll build character so that they could build a resume. Those are good things. But what are we focusing on that's most important? You see, when we have our life in the right priorities, there's more stability, that there ends up being time for those other things, that our life is now filled with much more satisfaction because we know that we're following what God wants for us. And we have special things coming up this week with VBS and even beyond this week where we're sending a team to the Netherlands and we're sending a team of youth 
to go to a camp for a week where they're going to be trained on what God's mission is for the world so that they can be equipped to go. And these things are great. That These things are now building on the foundation. That these things, we have the priorities right. And so if you are a part of volunteering this week at VBS, would you just stand? We want to recognize you. And if you're going to the Netherlands in the next week, would you also rise up? And if you're going to the youth trip, the Wyumi team, if you would also stand. And the rest of our church, would you also stand up? And if you could just lay a hand or link arms with the people around you, with the volunteers, the people going on these trips, because we are a family here at Riverstone. And so we want to pray together because even if you're not volunteering or going somewhere next week, that we can still be used by God in the places that he has for us this week. That when we ask God to change us, to reveal what's most important, it changes the way that we live. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that we can reach over 200 little ones this week at VBS. We pray for their hearts. We pray that they would be open to hearing your word, that they would be changed by your power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray for those who are going to the Netherlands, to Holland, that you would go before them and prepare the hearts of the people that they will encounter, that you will keep them safe. Lord, we pray that you would be with the team of youth as they go and study your word for a week, that they would build relationships, that they would understand what your calling is for their lives. And God, we pray for each one of us that our prayer for this week would be, Lord, search us, know our hearts, reveal any hurtful way in us, and lead us into the everlasting way. Lord, we love you because we are known by you and you love us. Thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be dismissed. Thanks.